0: I'm gonna invite you to center our hearts on our scripture for today. It comes from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25. We're looking at this passage out of the message, which is a paraphrase version done by Eugene Peterson. We use it fairly occasionally. The author of Hebrews has just been talking about the great sacrifice that Christ is in bringing us together through that sacrifice, Christ brings us together with God. And in recognition that this sacrifice has made it once and for all so that we can approach God with confidence, this is where the author picks up. Verse 23, 22 through 25 says this. So let's do it. Full of belief, confident that we are presentable inside and out. Let's keep a firm grip on the promises that keep us going. God always keeps God's word. Let's see how inventive we can be in encouraging love and helping out, not avoiding worshiping together as some do, but spurring each other on, especially as we see the big day approaching. Friends, if you will, please join me as we pray. God, we pray that your spirit might fall on us. We pray that we might be transformed by your breath, enlivened, and given new energy and hope. Please give us that gift of wisdom to discern what you are saying and to put it into action. God, if we are in your truth, then keep us there. And if we are not in your truth, then put us there. So we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Back in November of 2008, my husband Andy and I, we were moving from the Philadelphia area to Santa Barbara, where Andy had been offered this new job, and it was one of those moves that just seemed to present challenge after challenge. To start, I was eight months pregnant, and I was set to drive one of our cars and one of our dogs for four days cross-country. Also, we were selling our house at the bottom of the recession market. Then the government tried to deport Andy. Finally, on the day that we were set to leave, it snowed so heavily that we weren't sure that we were going to make it out of our driveway. To help the pickup that I was driving make it through the snow, Andy loaded the bed of the truck with firewood that he had chopped over the previous two years. He loaded it in there partly to weigh the truck bed down, and partly to honor his pride in preserving all of that wood that he had chopped. When we hit the California border several days later, we were starting to feel really relieved. Finally, this long and challenging journey was almost over. We were feeling that way until we got stopped by the border guard and he searched our truck. Because it turns out that you can't bring half a cord of wood from Pennsylvania to California something about jeopardizing a multi-billion dollar agricultural industry with foreign insects. Andy's pride in chopping that wood wasn't going to allow him to give it up without first trying out his negotiating skills. He talked to the guard who pulled us over, which then led us to talking to a second guard, and then he asked to speak to the supervisor, all very polite, all very calm, And so, as we waited for the supervisor to come over, Andy thanked that second guard and said, You know, I really appreciate it. I'm not trying to be difficult. To which the guard replied without missing a beat, Well, for not trying, you're doing a really good job. Andy and I still laugh about that today. And we still say that phrase to one another occasionally when we feel like the other person is doing something that's counter to their intentions. For not trying to make this difficult, you sure are making it difficult. For not trying to be lazy, you sure are acting lazy. For not trying to miss the point, you really are doing a good job of missing the point. It's more or less the phrase that we hear Jesus say to the Pharisees over and over again in the Gospels. The Pharisees aren't trying to miss the points that Jesus is saying, but they're doing a fine job of it. And they do a fine job of it because... They prioritize things badly. Jesus says to them in Matthew 23, you give a 10th of your spices of mint and dill and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law of justice and mercy and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You're straining out the gnat, but you're swallowing a camel. Or in other words, you're getting tunnel vision on the small things to the point where you can't see the big things. And so for Jesus, we see that it really is a really big deal for him that people act out of the right priorities, out of the priorities that reflect the kingdom of God. Which is what the writer of Hebrews is trying to encourage these new believers to do. The author of Hebrews is writing about how rituals and traditions and rules are not the priority of the kingdom of God. For the writer of Hebrews, the most important thing for the new believers to remember, the number one priority is our hearts. Verse five puts it this way, and this is the Messiah speaking through the ancient prophets of the Hebrews saying, God, you don't want sacrifices and offerings year after year. You've prepared a body for me to sacrifice. It's not fragrance and smoke from the altar that whet your appetite. So I said, I'm here to do it your way, God. This new plan isn't going to be written on paper. It's not going to be chiseled into stone. This time, I am writing the plan in them, in the hearts of the people, carrying it in the lining of those hearts. Put another way, what the writer is saying is that because of Jesus shifting our priorities away from the rules and toward our hearts, life is no longer first about what we do. Life is now first about who we are. Since Jesus came, the plan isn't to follow something outside of us, something external, like a recipe that we can just pick up or put down. Since Jesus, the plan is for us to be the people who embody Jesus' priorities and not people who just follow a to-do list of religion. Will we be the people who check off all the boxes? Will we be the people who do all the right things, who stay safer at home, who keep our social distance, who send in our tithe, who wash our hands? Will we be the people who do the, all the right things on the outside, but haven't oriented our hearts correctly on the inside? Will we be the people who forget to employ our empathy for those who are most suffering Will we be the people who call and text and email our friends and neighbors refusing to let them go even though we're not seeing them as often as we usually do? Will we be the people who donate non-perishable items? Will we be the people who go out of our way to support our community in every way that we can? Will we be inventive in encouraging love and in helping out? Back in 2000, I was part of a small team of people that planted a church in Huntington Beach. I was in my late teens, early 20s. And we were sort of a ragtag kind of group. The youngest of us was a 16-year-old high school student, whereas the oldest of us was probably in his early 50s and was well-established enough in life to own a big home in a beach city. Not all of us, none of us had planted a church before and not all of us knew each other before we connected with that small team. Some in the group had been Christians their whole lives, had pastored churches before, whereas others of us weren't even sure that we were Christians, even on a good day, myself often included. But the thing that drew us together across all of those differences the thing that transformed me in that time of my life, it wasn't the theology. It wasn't the preaching. It wasn't the pastor. It wasn't showing up every Sunday to set up church and tear it down. The thing that transformed me was the people. The thing that transformed me was the way that those people listen to their hearts in a way that I have never seen before. The thing that transformed me was the way that we all lived as a community when we were not together on Sundays. They went out of their way for one another in ways that even my supportive family didn't go out of its way for one another when I was a child growing up. They left quarters in phone booths just to bring smiles that they would never see to the faces of strangers that they would never meet. They paid for the people behind them in whatever line they were standing in. They walked skid row just to get to know people's names. They prayed in hospital chapels for friends and strangers alike. They apologized when they were wrong. They laughed at themselves instead of being defensive. They listened when other people talked and they remembered what we said even though I had my doubts about the supernatural stuff at that time in my life, and even though I was a full-time college student who was working nearly full-time hours outside of school, even though I was one of the quieter ones of the bunch, that group would not let me go. They valued community so much that they didn't let anyone drift away. I don't want you to get me wrong. It was a really messy group. We have people who were broke, we have people who couldn't hold down a job, people who are dropouts, who were addicted to one thing or another at different times. Some had arrest records, some had failed relationships, some had mistakes that they had managed to redeem, while others had mistakes that they would never move past. We were not a perfect bunch by any definition but when it came time to holding the priorities of Jesus in their hearts, they were on target more than they were off. They were never not trying. Our passage today says it really plainly. It says, let's see how inventive we can be in encouraging love and helping out, not avoiding worshiping together as some do, but spurring each other on. It's one of those verses, this passage that we have today, it's one of those verses that's rich. Any way the translator wants to put it, the NRSV says this, he says, and let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more. Or in the NIV, it says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together. Friends, if there was ever a time where we could use the encouragement that we find in this verse, it's this time. I really don't want us to strain the gnat in order to swallow the camel. Now is the time that we need to practice the big things while keeping to the small. Our calling to be Christians does not get put on pause during a pandemic. If anything, the calling for us to follow kingdom values is stronger now than it has ever been. How inventive can we be? In being good stewards of our community, of our society, while we wait behind closed doors? How empathetic and generous can we be while we are clear to stand six feet away from one another? During this time, how are we going to live our lives in a way that shows that we are Christians on purpose? Friends, I encourage you, to consider, to stare through the fear, through the anxiety, to go through all of the uncertainties that we have and to stand on the things that we know are solid in caring for one another, in responding to the calling of the spirit, to be people who choose to be light and hope that even though we might be inside, our light is not under a bushel. We have a gift to be connected in ways like we never have before. How inventive can we be in caring for one another, loving one another, being generous with each other, spurring one another on toward love and good deeds, and this time, like we never have before? Please pray with me. God, it is through your hope, it is through your love for us that we can continue to live into the identity that you have given us as your children and as your friends. Do not let us be so overcome by the small things, by the fear, by the anxiety, by the worry, by the uncertainty, Do not let us be so overcome by these small things that somehow we miss the big things that are just in front of us. The opportunities to love. The opportunities to serve. The opportunities to connect. To encourage. To build up. To be the church. And not just attend church. Give us courage. Give us wisdom.